0: Merchant to Merchant is brought to you by Something Digital, a Magento enterprise and Shopify Plus partner. Something Digital is an award-winning digital agency that will put your e-commerce site to work. Visit them online today at somethingdigital.com slash podcast. Welcome to Merchant to Merchant, a podcast by Something Digital for merchants and by merchants. My name is Philip Jackson, and we are here live at Industry West in Soho. Make some noise, people. (laughs) We have an amazing panel uh, for you today. Really excited about it, and I'll go ahead and uh,
1: start. So, left to right, why don't we get you guys to introduce yourself? Uh, Ian, let's start with you. So, welcome everyone. I'm Ian Leslie, I'm CMO for Industry West. Um, A lot of people have been saying, you know, your spot's amazing, and this is an amazing location, but make no mistake, this is not my spot, my location. Our co owner, co founder, and CEO over there, Jordan England, this is his brainchild. Uh, this is 10 years old in terms of the company. Um, really an amazing story, and if you have a chance to bend his ear, do so uh, in terms of just starting really small out of his, out of his home um, to the point where we are now with now our first brick and mortar here in Soho. We were pure play e-commerce only, uh, selling furniture um, up until March when we opened here, and it's been an amazing response. Um, we do B2B and B2C. Uh, I always like to say when we talk B2B in terms of furniture, we're dealing with anything from, you know, the mom-and-pop shop trying to open a, a coffee location to um, Hyatt to, you know, someone procuring for Facebook or Uber or Google or any number or Yapo or Nasto or something digital. Um, really, we're in pretty much almost every startup you can think of and every uh, airport kind of terminal. And, um, yeah, we're just really excited to to host y'all, see what we offer here and what we're about. And um, I'm usually not nervous, but I'm here with Mr. Magento. (laughs) uh,
2: Well,
0: great. Glad to have you. Thank you so much, Ian, and thanks for opening up the store uh, to us. And uh, Jesse, why don't you take a stab at it? Tell us about yourself.
2: Well, thank you for acknowledging me as Mr. Magento to start with. So, uh, Jesse Lazarus, I uh, am the Chief Process and Innovation Officer at Kravet Inc. We're a fifth-generation family-owned company. We sell high-end luxury furnishings and textiles to the interior design trade. Uh, all B2B, no B2C. Uh, but our customers are very much um, consumers in and of themselves, and we're not a traditional B2B market. Um, so we do look at D2C strategies and try to leverage those as much as possible. Um, and in my role, I oversee everything from our, uh, what we refer to as digital experience, so e commerce, our digital outreach, in store experience, where we're blending uh, digital experience into the brick and mortar. As a fifth generation company, we have a long standing brick and mortar uh, tradition, 40 showrooms where, <clears throat> excuse me, we sell in over 100 countries, um, all through North America, we have presence in Europe. Uh, And we pioneered e-commerce in our industry probably about 15-some-odd years ago uh, and have gone through a multi-year strategy of evolving that, kind of renovating our e-commerce presence, bringing it into the modern era, and really trying to build out upon that for our digital marketing capabilities.
0: That's great. Uh, Thanks for joining us. Hayden, tell us a little bit about yourself and Olam.
3: Um, So my name is Hayden Quast. I'm the director of e-commerce and marketing for Olam Specialty Coffee. Uh, So Olam Specialty Coffee is part of um, the Olam Group, which is a large multinational agricultural supply chain company. We were founded in 1989, been around for 30 years, which in the world of agribusiness is very young. Uh, Most of our competitors have been around for hundreds of years. And we were able to grow to the the extent that we are now because the company has a very strong sense of entrepreneurship. Um, They they form departments, small businesses, a lot of autonomy to function on their own. And uh, they hired me uh, to create e-commerce for them. So we were the first to do e-commerce in the agricultural commodity space, Um, especially coffee is unique in that space in that we focus on the high-end part of the coffee, coffee world, the coffee supply chain. Um, And I got into it by creating my own coffee trading platform um, a while back, and I had my own company. It was uh, connecting producers of very high-end coffees to uh, the the specialty coffee scene. And then Olam said, hey, come do that for for our network.
0: Hmm. Awesome. Well, glad to have you guys. And when I was thinking about uh, this particular panel and the folks that would be sitting on it, uh, I was trying to figure out like a through line or like a common thread that connects you all because, you know coffee, furniture, and wallpaper. (laughs) So I had my work cut out for me. But I I really feel like there's an interesting um, aspect to what you all do, which is you have a common thread of B2B, right, so business to business, which I think we can get into. But I do think that there's a draw today for B2B-focused companies to be more like B2C, or what I would call direct-to-consumer, in that you all have a job to do to acquire new customers, you're doing it digitally, Uh, You have to promote and and enlarge your brand in in social. Uh, You have to do it. um, You you, you have the expectation of your consumer is now the same consumer that's shopping on Amazon and everywhere else. Their expectation of you is growing, and it's not an expectation that you're setting. It's an expectation that's being set upon you by other entities. I think that's a really interesting place to kind of start. Um, So maybe, Ian, why don't you kick us off? Tell us a little bit. You told me uh, in in sort of the pre-show when we were talking upstairs. Yeah, that's where all the stuff, the good stuff happens is in the pre-show. Um, but if, if you could talk a little bit about how you, you kind of started as direct-to-consumer and pure-play e-commerce, and, and you, you quickly realized yeah. that your, your, your consumer is maybe influencer or trade-based. Sure.
1: Right. Yeah, I mean, I don't think, you know, I've been with the company for about half of its lifespan, and I don't think the goal, we ever set out a goal of B2B just sort of happened. We had a product that people liked. And when we say B2B, I mean, I've always, nothing, obviously, against coffee, and I love coffee, and I love to drink coffee while sitting on my sofa thinking about wallpaper. But um, um, we don't sell coffee paper. We don't sell coffee. We don't sell your traditional office furniture, per se. We just look around you. We sell, well, you can't on a podcast look around you. right? But come to our website, and um, you'll see things you want in your home. So I think what we found was that what are we first of all it just sort of serendipitously happened in terms of the B2B like um people went online they found the product they loved it and they wanted 50 of them for the burger joint and so that just continued to happen and I think it kind of continues today in terms of for our vertical at least um is Amazon setting the expectation? Maybe a little bit in terms of free shipping and that sort of thing, but in terms of the brand, definitely not. Right. You know, like we're connecting more, we're setting expectation like Auburn's. Like Auburn's is setting the expectation of like a really cool brand where you want to be part of that community and be part of that that ecosystem, and then what comes with it. So I am mean, going to think the um, B2B kind of, was it the, the goal? No. Um, in terms of this space, I mean, I think what it is is so much of our revenue either is sent here or originates here with the trade, either doing projects elsewhere or sending projects here. That just made sense. Right. And then also, obviously, this is one of the most you know famous blocks in SoHo. And so you're able to get that kind of consumer eyes on your product mm-hmm. and then also have people in the trade who are in this area who can come and sit and, and touch. And, you, and so that direct-to-consumer,
0: like those roots of direct-to-consumer, set you up to, to still service that customer where I think might, it might be difficult if you start as B2B to, to start to adopt the business processes. Like, you might be really great at wholesale, or you might be really great at one-to-one selling where your customer is putting together sort of like a bespoke uh, uh, design like you might do at Kravit, Jesse. And, but, but to then take that more broadly mass market and to expose your catalog to everybody Right, where it's no longer just I have a book uh, that I know who has my book and they have a relationship with me. Um, Now it's everybody has my book. Like, what is how? What kind of pressures? What kind of challenges do you
2: experience there in trying to in trying to innovate in that direction? Well, I think if I can bridge off of a common Ian made right. The we don't sell copy paper is a is a very valid statement, right? Even though I'm pure B two B. Uh, my, my customers are consumers. They have expectations of how brands get exposed to them, how product is discoverable, um, you know, where they can access information, how they can access information. And that's all informed <clears throat> by their personal experience. I'm not selling to a company that has a procurement department that's executing POs. through or, uh, That may be a very small portion of what I'm doing. For the most part, it's small proprietors, small shops. It's a creative individual. They're, they're an artist who's running a business. They're not a business person who's happening to doing a creative function. Um, So for us, it's about understanding the market at large, understanding where their desires and predilections are going and being able to get out in front of that and make sure we're playing in the environment that they're going to want to be in and that means we have to fire on all gears. We have to we have to be in Instagram trying to spread our brand message because that's where they are consuming brand messages. Yeah, that's right. where
0: your customer is. Right,
2: and, and we have to participate in third-party marketplaces because there are third-party marketplaces that are confined to niche arrangements like my, my consumer, my customer. So um, we pride ourselves, I think, on being very close to the market, very in touch with our customer base, understanding where we see they're going to be going, and then strategizing to be there, make sure we're there once they get there. themselves. Right. I mean, you sound like a, you sound like a retailer,
1: <laughs> yeah, right?
2: Without being a retailer, I mean, right. it's, it's very much, it, for us, it's a similar concept. Uh, because of who my customer is, I mean, if I was selling Xerox machines to uh, office buildings, I'm sure I would have a different perspective on that, but um, my customer is, they're everywhere. They they're in my brick and mortar. They're on my website. They're looking through social media. They're they're doing product discovery through other platforms, and I need to be there to to be in front of them and to service them. And we we try to to play in all those arenas. I
1: think it's interesting that the fact that we have to kind of define B two B just goes to yeah. show the development of B two B and how ambiguous the kind of the term is. Yeah, it's
0: a very ambiguous term, um, and and nebulous still. And when you talk about the world of coffee, I. I know one of the challenges that you face is that a portion of the way that you do business, you can't even really set your own pricing. If there's a commodity aspect to the way that coffee is traded, that sets a level of expectation of this is what coffee costs, right? right?
3: Uh, Absolutely. I would say maybe half of the coffees that we sell are tied to what's called the commodity, the C market, um, coffee commodity market. Um, But half of the coffees aren't. And the reason they aren't actually is... Really driven by the end consumer. Uh, So we, um, uh, I think probably most of us in in this room are much more aware of uh, food traceability. So when we go uh, shopping, we want to know where our food comes from, and that's very true in the world of coffee. Uh, A lot of people uh, go into coffee shops and want to know where their coffee came from, and that is what we provide to the coffee roasters. So we do the whole. We work with coffee producers all around the world in thirty different countries. And we do all we can to like tell their story on our website, create a profile for them. Uh, in some cases, they create it themselves and market themselves to coffee roasters and tell a story that they can then share with people stopping by the coffee shop.
0: So, I mean, you're running a marketplace. It is a marketplace.
3: Right. Yeah, I, I would say most of the coffees that we sell uh, are coffees that we're sourcing, but there are some uh, producers up there uh, as a marketplace.
0: And they, do, do they ever look at you as sort of like the the face of their brand? Like, they, you are we, the portal
3: to the world for them as a farmer, as a grower. We try and do all we can to tell their story and even mm-hmm. name the coffee after the farmer uh, whenever we can. Especially, if, I mean, if it's, it's up to them if they're creating the profile for uh, for their coffee. Like, they, you know, they tell us how they want to tell their story.
1: I think
0: there's an interesting aspect to that uh, that I hadn't considered before, which is, you, you have your customer is somebody who's sort of taking an unfinished product, right? Mm-hmm. Like a green coffee, for instance, right. and and they make something sort of special out of that. There, you play an interesting role in the development of those companies' product,
3: right? Um, yeah, absolutely. I would. Uh, our sales staff, our traders. Um, most of them have experience either running their own coffee shops, running their own roasteries, and so again, they can provide a lot of advice, especially to new startup coffee shops, on um, how to put together their blends or like, what uh, product lineup they should have in terms of like their uh, you know morning blend versus the high end single origin from a particular particular producer in Panama. So yeah, we. Uh, we see ourselves as consultants as well.
0: Right. And I, as, as we were talking before, too, that part of that enablement in helping people have sustainable businesses is giving them the tools not just to buy the product but to create businesses around the product. Like Olam launched a podcast recently. I think there's something that you're seeing. Um, a lot of what we see in B2C is very much storytelling. Like there's a lot of people that are very... Um, they're very uh, uh, nostalgic about their own brand and their own story and their history and how they got there and they think that's very important to communicate to people. Um, well, the storytelling that you see on the B2B side in particular that I'm seeing nowadays is that story is to enable other people to be able to tell their stories to their customers. It's how do I have a successful business? How do I create um, a differential brand with a, you know, effectively a
3: commodity? Um, so I think it's really interesting that you guys are doing that at Olam. Yeah. I mean, we, we call ourselves uh, the brand behind the brands. Um, and we, we want to take a step back. We don't want to call attention to ourselves. We're a huge company that can do, uh, first and foremost, from the, the company's point of view, we, we can do logistics very well. It's really hard to get coffee from El Salvador to the U.S. Um, so we want to make it super easy for roasters to find that great coffee. And then we do the fulfillment as well.
2: We're very similar, if you don't mind me jumping in. There, yeah, go ahead. Um, where you know our role is storytelling. We we have to we have to arm our customer with the information they need to be able to then sell the value of the goods, the investment they're making in their home uh, to their client. And most of what we do is is we talk about our heritage, but we talk about the archival nature of of our goods. We talk about the provenance of it. We talk about the different things that bring value to that aspect. When you're looking at a fabric that's a velvet that's hand-woven in Thailand and it takes three weeks to weave 18 inches of it uh, and it's going to cost $2,400 a yard to to purchase, you have to tell the story of what creates the value of those goods. But I could get that on Amazon for 21 cents, you know? (laughs) Unlikely, unlikely. Uh, Right. so, so, (laughs) so, So that's most of our marketing push. What we're doing in digital all the time is trying to impart that knowledge because our customer is an influencer of a decision. Right. They are putting together a creative scheme, but then they're having to sell that scheme to their client, and we have to constantly supply them with the educational information they need to be able to do that.
0: That's a, that I like that. So your customer is an influencer. Right? That makes you B to I, right? You're, you're, you're influencing their customers' purchases by almost being a tastemaker, how much of that relationship do you think is two ways, where you are telling them what's hot versus them trying to inform you of where they're trying to go, as a bit as like an industry?
2: Um, it's, I think it's symbiotic. Uh, I think you, you s- we we can monitor the trends that we see happening in the space from a from a design perspective. Our industry can be very much a, a laggard of fashion. So what you see happening in fashion, you'll see happening in the home x number of months later, and we can use those trends, but. What you then, what we have to be able to pick up on are are changes to the family unit. So uh, in our industry, performance goods are very hot right now. Mm -hmm. Fabrics that can withstand a beating with uh, stains, so on and so forth. Because of the amount of uh, millennials that are maturing into, uh, you know, families that are ready to invest in a home and they have kids and they're looking for that kind of long-term investment and protection. So... Us understanding that trend means we then start educating our customers on what we have to offer in that space, what the value is, how they then bring that to their client, uh, and help arm them so they can tell those stories and sell that correct package to their clients. So it's we learn from them and we bring to them as much as possible as well.
0: You can see I, I see Industry West Ian as sort of the tastemaker, maybe a little bit like how does how does that play out for you? Do you feel like you're you're closer to your customer being that you started with B two C. Um, do you feel like you're playing tastemaker and that you're you're playing to a niche, or do you feel like there's a, a the same sort of symbiotic sort of conversation that's happening with your customer?
1: Yeah, I think because we're North American only, a lot of it is is Jordan and Anne, you know, going overseas, seeing what's trending, what's what's trending in fashion, what's trending at the shows over there, and and bringing it over here, and really trying to be first to market here, hmm. and trying to sort of. Be ahead of the trend. Um, we find when we're not first to market, especially as, I mean, we're still very startup in this vertical. So, I mean, to, to compete with a CB2 or to create a, or a restoration or whomever it may be, um, you really have to be first to market to, to get the best value out of your buy on the furniture side. So, I mean, I think a lot of it is trying to identify the trend ahead of time, bring it to North America. Um, I think I think interesting points being brought up in terms of, of telling stories and giving, even on the B2B side, giving the customer or even on the B2B side a, a brand to come onto and a story to come onto because I think, I mean, that's, that's really what we try to do as well. And I think, you know, to an extent, this space that we're sitting in is a, a big part of that. And we've seen in just the few weeks we've been open the, the credibility that it's led to us to, to be in Soho and to kind of have people come in and walk away with, oh, have you heard of Industry US? they have this amazing space, you know, they're in Soho, they're in House Beautiful, they're in Architectural Digest, and, and even on the trade side, that's important to us. I mean, I think um, we've identified in the youth of our company so much with the entrepreneurial um, clients that use us, you know, in the startup space. And that's really become part of our story and, and still is part of our story.
0: When you say trade, it, it, what do you mean trade? Like? Oh, tri- what is it? b
1: 2 B's, except kind of synonymous, trade, B2B. You know, so it's anywhere getting so a designer, from interior design, designer right? to, you know, the, the, the PO we're receiving from, you know, requisition team. It's also
2: a tactile industry. Uh, All right, one of the challenges you always have is how do you unify the tactile experience Sure. with the digital expectation, uh, which is something I think that's... I mean, we're constantly trying to evolve the way we do it. We're pushing new tools and new experiences and such. But a brick and mortar, you know, it creates that tactile environment so that it mm. lends credence to what, to your product line as a whole. You want to yeah.
3: feel it or you want to see it. That's a great point. It's something that, that we offer and a big driver for our e-commerce is allowing complementary sampling to businesses. Um, so when a coffee shop is make, is looking for the next coffee, they want to sell for a season. It's a significant investment for them, uh, so they're going to want to sample it first. And uh, having offering complimentary sampling is is um, has been essential and a good uh, lure for us. What's
0: so? Should, correct me if I should know this, but I don't. Um, you're you have. What's your customer acquisition or customer onboarding process like? Do you have, like, fixed agreements? Does that happen outside of e-commerce, or are you driving new
3: customers every day to your e-commerce site? Um, New customers every day. Uh, Yeah, we have uh, a new customer buying from us each day. Um, So in the world of B2B, in the world of coffee shops, we see that as pretty good. Um, And uh, we only allow, we don't, we, mo- we want to make sure that a company has established a brand. We're not too picky, but if, if they have an online presence somewhere uh, in social media, then then they can create an account with us.
1: Right.
0: Yeah. And, and so... Are you doing all the traditional things to drive traffic, paid search? and Absolutely.
3: So the podcast that you mentioned right. uh, helps a lot. We have a blog. It's the content that we put out there, the stories that we're telling that bring people to the website. And yeah. then they create an account. To, you know, we, all of the products uh, that we offer is on the website. People can browse it. Uh, you do have to create an account and log in to see pricing, request samples. Uh, so that's the, that takes people to the next step. Yeah. Okay. So from... We talked about
0: storytelling. Uh, one thing that strikes me about Industry West is the sort of visual storytelling. Um, you guys tend to, you have some pretty striking photography. Um, you, I, I, I think. Yeah, no, we <laughs> you, do. You, you smile, uh, what's that? Is there, you, you feel like there's like an element of something you could.
1: No, photography's critical to us right. and it's it's um, something we talk about every day in terms of it's, it's not cheap, yeah. Is what, you, what you heard from the peanut gallery, yeah. Um, yeah it's it's uh, we shoot all our own stuff. It comes in, and we shoot out of Florida, and um, um, it's our best attempt. And I think uh, what got us here, to be honest, in terms of trying to bring that tactile, you know, uh, furniture vertical to, to web. But now as you scale and as you may want to bring into other ports and you may want to not be all based out of one location, how do you scale that um, across multiple venues? Um, If only you could shoot over Slack, Um, which you can shoot a sofa over Slack. So, um, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's critical to us and it's, it's, it's gotta be, Um, especially on not to interrupt you, but I mean, no, no it's, you know, we don't have yours. the budget of again of we're very startup. We don't have the budget to rent an apartment in Toronto or rent an apartment here and shoot. I mean, we got to figure out doing doing more with less to an extent. Right,
0: you're, you're sort of bootstrapping that part of it. We're
1: entirely bootstrap. Yeah. Well, the company is bootstrap. For well, sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: This podcast is brought to you by Something Digital. Something Digital is a full-service e-commerce agency specializing in strategy, design, digital marketing, and more. Something Digital has award-winning creative design and world-class engineers that can deliver any size project from concept to launch. Something Digital is a Magento enterprise and Shopify Plus partner. Put your e-commerce site to work with Something Digital. Check them out today at somethingdigital.com slash podcast. I I find that you all have a similar challenge because you've all mentioned it, but you didn't. It's... I want to tie, up, tie it up with a bow. It's kind of hard to smell coffee online, and uh, if you're like me and you're sort of uneducated in the space, all coffee, all green coffee, kind of looks alike to me. Uh, this picture of this batch looks the same. Like I'm just taking your word for it. And to be and to wit, I'm I'm the guy who would probably go you know wallpaper shopping on Amazon. So. You'll have to educate me as well as to why why it's different. Not and, my target customer, right? Of course not.
3: Um, <laughs> and,
0: and, and a seventy-two, you know, a seventy-two DPI photo is not, you know, is probably not doing justice to it either. So I, I'd like to hear all of your sort of take on how you close the gap. I, I I'm going to hedge and say that Industry West saw a need to close the gap to for the tactile sort of experience by creating a store like this. Is this the is, is this the, the way that you close that gap to experience?
1: I don't want to say that was the entire purpose or even 50% of the purpose. I think a lot of it, and I mean, I, it was something that we had talked about for, or Jordan had talked about for years. I mean, I think a lot of it, it was because this is what a cool company does. Huh. And we're a damn cool company, right? <laughs> right? So like, this is what you do. And, this is, and if you swing a stick Around this neighborhood, I mean, you're hitting a lot of pretty f- cool companies. So um, I said, damn, my kids Brent. can't listen to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we'll bleep it. No problem. <laughs> Phil Jackson. Daddy had a bleep. <laughs> <Always> <laughs> out the the way. Way.
0: Get them all Jackson. juiced up and he starts dropping the D word. Oh, um, um, solid water. I love, uh, but yeah,
1: I mean, I think that's, you know, I don't want to say it was just for the tactile phone, but yeah, that that helps a lot. Right.
0: I, at least it's a place that you can reference to say mm-hmm. here's the place where you can experience. part of." But, maybe that's part
1: of the story right now. Maybe that's not the end. But goal. you know what's almost as most, almost more important is the person in Atlanta or in Nashville or in Los Angeles who sees your ad and sees New York on the bottom. Mm-hmm. It's a credibility thing to an extent. Mm-hmm.
0: But how did, how, you mentioned a little bit about sort of the, the I, I would say, that sort of words and prose... <coughs> right around the storytelling what else is there
2: Uh, it's similar for us it's the it's absolutely the quality of the photography I think if you look at our website I like to think that we have um, you know fantastic beauty imagery that is showing our product in situ in a a light that makes it attractive and makes you understand the value of it the product photography that we have you know you, you would think of a flat shot of fabric and the 72 DPI shot, well, you know, we aim for an incredible quality. We built our own internal logistics to be able to execute that to make sure that we were delivering as close to real as we can. Um, but it's also, it's a function of if you're going to see it on the site, I'm going to make sure I can get it physically in your hands as fast as possible afterwards. It's the back-end logistics that supports the, the business unit as well, hmm. making sure that the physical and the digital work as seamlessly together as possible because they really... They really have to be. I don't really have too many truly digital-only customers. What I have is customers that pass through whatever channel is going to be the best for them at that time. Mm. Uh, and they may be in a in one of my showrooms and then placing orders online. They may be starting online to do product discovery and then showing up to a showroom or to meeting with one of my salespeople to, to close that gap. Uh, you know, there's a small percentage that may be purely digital. There's a small percentage that are purely physical. Um, but for us, it's making sure that, because in the middle is such, so much larger, that it all works seamlessly together. Um, and then digitally, it's about trying to find the best methods to replicate the tactile without having the tactile, right? And that's where we get into things like advanced visualization of products. So if you are looking at a sofa, you can put the fabric on it, choose the wood finish, choose the details that go around it and get as high-res quality of an image of what that's going to look like when you purchase it as possible. Again, to put that in their hand, let them show that to their client, let them be able to push that vision as, as easy as possible without having something physical, so mm-hmm. to speak, in their hand, a sample the work from. So, um, you know, we, we, we try to push all those buttons, so to speak.
0: Yeah, some people aren't able to to visualize it for themselves, so some you, you have to assist the people that need the assistance.
2: Uh, that, well, so if you're... They can absolutely visualize it for themselves, but... Your customer can. My customer can, right? The client most likely can, right? Uh, When we talked about the B2B becoming a little bit nebulous, it's for us in the way we market to people maybe, but not in the way our product would be understood. If a consumer walked into my showroom, they wouldn't know what to do, right? You've got Mm. 40,000 fabrics staring you in the face, 2,500 possible frames of furniture to choose from, have at it. You're probably not going to be able to make a room concept out of that. That's what the interior designer does. They bring that value to that to that process. They bring that creative value. They bring that planning together. Uh, what the interior designer probably doesn't have is the resources internally to do like a 3D visualization of that room. Some of them may do, maybe not others. And so if we can provide that kind of tool set digitally for them, that's just a sales supportive function, right? We put it in their hands and they don't have to worry about carrying that resource themselves.
3: Hmm. You were about to jump in, Hayden. Um well, I mean, uh, creating the content, good photography, amazing photography is immensely uh, valuable to our customers. And it's, it's uh, maybe to what we see as another degree immensely important because it's so hard to get. Like, it's hard to travel to a coffee producing farm and take amazing pictures and get that experience and really see and feel how coffee is produced. Uh, so that's what we strive for on the website. We found it creates uh, super important to our customers. Um, It's also, even for us, really hard to get. So something that we struggle with constantly is how to get that really great photography. And it really comes down to, like, we don't have a big budget to be hiring photographers to do this. So it's our traders and we're traveling uh, to producing countries, uh, meeting with people we buy our coffee from and source our coffee from, taking great pictures, taking video when we can. We would love to get to the next level and do, like, virtual reality and allow, like, our customers to, like... Uh, online walk through a farm and take a tour of a farm so, we're not there yet but uh, that's, that's the next step and it's um, you know, we kind of see it as something we have to be doing to, to keep ahead of the, ahead of the game that, so, just So I think
0: what you said was it's important to your customer to sort of understand and connect with the place where it comes from because yep. that's part of the story of what makes the product unique the, the sourcing, the, the people, the sort
3: of visualizing the... Yeah, well, so okay, this, this uh, gets to really the heart of specialty coffee and uh, what makes specialty coffee um, special or more high-end is, is that connection to the producer. Uh, there's, I think, in, in our industry, I think in general, most people are aware of you know, how difficult it is uh, in developing countries to be a farmer. And uh, coffee is particularly hard-hit coffee farmers, cocoa farmers. And so specialty coffee is, has this great opportunity of finding particularly good coffees and then calling attention to that producer so they start earning more for the, the coffee that they're creating. Mm-hmm. And so that's why it's super important for us to be able to tell that story and really call attention to that farmer and he creates a brand for himself. And once he creates a brand for himself, more people are interested in that coffee and... You know he gets he gets paid more hmm. but I, I think i mean that that's what
2: gets it outside of being a commodity right if it if if I can show somebody if I can show them a, a, a sofa that I sell versus being able to show them that it's handmade in the u s and that there's an artisan who's tying springs to the bed of that that sofa who's stuffing that cushion by hand who's doing the upholstery by hand and and show them all of the things that create the value of that piece, showing them the sustainability trail, so to speak, from farm to end, right? That, that's what cr- that's what makes your product be more than just the basic commodity. That's what creates the value and makes that digital experience, I think, come alive for them, right. instead of having the tactile.
1: I. Obviously, not these brands, but I, I guess I'm interested in, in your take, Phil, and your guys' take in terms of that story kind of almost becoming white noise hmm. in terms of you have the Toms and you have the um, Movement, which is a watch brand. I don't know if you guys know, but everyone yeah. telling this direct-to-consumer story where we went straight you know, to the factory and we're going to give it to you and you can see the whole cycle and we made sure we worked with the goods factory. And it almost becomes white noise. To the, then it just becomes, you know, it, it's, everyone has the same story. I, I
0: take and a then, different take on that just to cut you off. Sorry. I, I love you. Um, I, I agree. I agree that there's a, there's a wrong way to do it. And if it's boring, then people don't care. But I, I think that the consumer cares more than ever about sustainability. And the brands that are in the boring middle, right, as Steve Dennis would say, the brands that are in the middle that don't have a story around it are the ones that are in trouble. When you see Victoria's Secret closing 25 stores, it's because they don't have a story around sustainability, and they're not speaking to the modern consumer who's actually the person they should be talking to who are buying their goods. Whereas every other brand in that segment, the third loves of the world, even Aerie, an, an American Eagle brand, are thriving, and they have that's the differentiator, is that they're talking to the consumer who cares. So if, if you do it the right way, then I think you can, and these are all direct-to-consumer tactics, I think your, the way you do it is a little different, right, for each of you. But I think that there, there is someone who's, who cares, and the cynic in me does wanna say like, they only care because we're telling them they should, but they care either way. I, I, I
2: think, sure. it, it could, you could be formulaic, right? But I think there's artistry in storytelling, and I think you look at a brand like, uh, like Shinola, and the story yeah. they tell <laughs> about the revitalization of Detroit, and the investment they've made in their factory, and the, the empowerment of their employee base, and it, their marketing doesn't have a lot to do with their watches. Uh, and I think it creates a very compelling storyline that people gravitate to. Then for their product, and uh, and I think that's the artist. That's how you break out of the <laughs> things, right. Is is understanding how you're going to tell the artistry behind your concept and right. and and rise above, right? Because there is. I mean, people are just awash in messages, yeah. and most oh, yeah. of the messages are fairly bland and straightforward, right? So uh, here's an image, and here's my link. Uh, you know, <laughs> click in bio. Um, so it's 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 figuring out how your product uh, can rise above that through your storytelling. I, I think people are people.
0: You you mentioned Hayden that people care about the sort of the ethics around the way people
3: on on the, in the supply chain are treated, right? Yeah, and that's uh, going back to the the opening comment uh, that the decisions we're making on how we market ourselves is. Uh, all, it comes back to the end consumer and what they're demanding, and the food traceability movement is really setting the standard for um, how we create, hopefully, create brands for the producers that we work with.
1: But, I mean, it's different per the vertical, too, right? I yeah. mean, I think Hayden is such a niche vertical, yeah. um, and like there's a lot of potential long tail SEO there for you know sustainable coffee from this town, sure. and potentially, and the, the story you're going to tell on that. Whereas. Um, we're a bit more of a fast fashion brand, which people may look at us and and see us in that that white noise space. So Mm -hmm. just to differentiate ourselves in there.
0: Yeah, I I think that here's one interesting takeaway, and then uh, uh, I'll I'll get all your hot takes. Um, But I, I think that the more commoditized a brand, the more you have to position it as to why, what is differential about it, whereas the the more visual a brand is, the, it's probably easier for it to stand on its own to say, quickly identify and say, oh, that's what I'm looking for. Like that's, that hits something visceral in me that says, I like the aesthetic. And it's less about sort of the pros around it. Um, so I, I thought we could kind of close these out usually um, before we get to Q and A, just kind of asking you what challenges you're gonna have to overcome to get to your goals. Um, I think it's probably a little different for each one of you. Um, so why don't we start with
3: Hayden? Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> so we're, um, we're trying to make more... Like, so we have the podcast, we have the blog. And in the podcast and the blog, we've talked... We have a lot of uh, answers for, for our customers. Like we, when we think about what we want to do in the podcast or what we want to write about in the blog... We think about the questions that we get on a daily basis, and we turn it into a, a podcast. We turn it into a blog post, and we're realizing now we, we still get to a lot of the same questions, uh, maybe somewhat fewer. But uh, we need to take that content that we've created in the podcast and the blog, and, and create, a, create a knowledge base that's accessible on the website, and then and, and make those answers and those explanations. More concise and easily accessible. Uh, so right now we're, it's a big challenge. We're going through like transcripts of transcripts of all our podcasts and picking out the tidbits of points that we have made and figuring out what the question to that answer is. And so we're creating the our online knowledge base. And it's it's a big task. So
0: that's huge. B two B content marketing. Yeah, that's
1: amazing,
2: Jesse. Name a challenge. I would I would look at fragmentation in our market. Um, uh, there are. Uh, so many different ways now that interior designers can shop for their product. There are, there are websites that they're using as marketplaces. There are software platforms that they use to do back office functions that now offer product baked into it. Uh, there's the traditional brick and mortar desire, the desire to come directly to my e-commerce site. So the challenge becomes how am I everywhere at the same time? And how do I, uh, demand the same quality of content that I would on my own site? Um, and we've done a lot of work around um, rigor and maintenance of that data, making sure standards are put in place, actively engaging any new platform that we see coming on to see if it's a place that we should be, and then engaging so that we're for, you know first to market there, letting customers know that they can discover our product there. Um, and it's just, it's no longer uh, channel A, channel B. It's, you know, here's... Seventy channels rapidly growing, and and make sure that you can entertain everybody everywhere. So follow Kravit on TikTok, everybody, yes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and Snapchat,
1: uh, Ian. Yeah, challenges. I mean, I think as as the youngest brand on the panel, I mean, I think it's. And um, we talk about bootstrapped across the board. I mean, we are bootstrapped. You know, this is our founders um, founded this business. Mm. Um, you know, no venture cap, no no. Uh, private money in there and so I mean our challenge at a very macro level is to maintain strong growth while remaining profitable and and, and how do we continue to invest in, in the things we're talking about today storytelling marketing um, brick and mortar hmm. while maintaining uh, those goals and uh, you know without being able to do you know a, a long term brand awareness campaign without that returning revenue very quickly so I mean I think that's a uh, a big challenge. And I think we're a bit of a a unicorn in that respect in terms of of how we look at that and and where our money's coming from.
0: Hmm. Wow. Uh, Great place to sort of end. Thank you so much. You guys have been amazing. Let's give them a hand. Um, I I told you they were smart, right? I told you they were smart. Uh, I'd love to take some time out for Q and A. So if you have a question, Let's hear it. Oh, come on. Oh, yeah. Go uh, ahead. So as, as we're sort of sitting in the middle of a B2B content marketing yeah. episode right now, uh, how, what experiences have you guys had in, uh, in reaching out to some of your customers and kind of collaborating on, uh, on creating some of that content?
3: Uh, so we um, and part of the experience, and experience in experiencing coffee is is being able to travel to a producing country and uh, and walk through a farm. And so, for um, many of our customers, we uh, as they grow with us, we invite them on trips. So we actually put together kind of like a tour agent <laughs> for um, a, a few times a year and take some of our customers to a producing country, visit the farms, visit, visit the mills, uh, and and do that tactile experience.
2: So, so two different examples I would give of that is there there are some customers that we've actually engaged in product development with, and then they will co-market the product that we develop with them. So we'll do a collection for that designer, and then they're talking about it in their own channels. They're creating content with us that we're iterating through our own channels. Uh, but another thing that we do is we've, we've gone and we've taken... Customers in certain markets, and we've had them come in and do a design in our showroom, mm-hmm. uh, and and you know ask them to Instagram about that and, and talk about that, and and we leverage that same type of content. And that's that's really amazing because it's really authentic stuff. Right. That's uh, that's not brand material. That's that's authentically created. People really that really resonates with people. So that's been very successful for us.
1: Um, something we did about. Three years ago now, was, um, we did a, a, what we call the Magalog piece, where we, um, and a lot of it was was shot here in the city, where we went out to our interior design community, found some influencers who we'd worked with in the past, and, and shot them in their projects, featuring in the Shoe space, and we turned that around, we, we shot video as well. And so we have that video featured on the site, and um, did a lot of YouTube advertising with that, but that, that did really well, and, and it's something, um, again, it goes into photo budgets and that sort of thing, but especially with us being in so many different locations, um, airports, et cetera, to go and, and shoot that and create stories around that is something that, that worked well, something we'll continue to do.
0: Hmm. Other questions?
3: Go ahead.
1: Uh, in the B2B space, technology is changing very quickly. Are there innovations that you're anticipating, that you're looking forward to, that you're looking forward to making an investment in? well
0: oh, I heard we're doing VR
3: yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's not in our product roadmap but
2: <laughs> yeah I mean for us it's it's about visualization right so if that's uh augmented reality I think VR is still way off right i think the the user the obstacles to user adoption there are still too large but there's some really cool stuff happening there's a there's an Italian furniture company with a showroom here in the city that has a VR pod where you can go in and, and kind of walk through what your room would look like if you used their furniture. There's some cool experimental things happening. I don't think it's ready for widespread adoption. Um, and between that and and you know anything visualization related, anything that we could bring,
3: again, the tactile into the digital environment make it more realistic. That's that's where I see <laughs> What we watch really closely is uh, trucking, as boring as that might sound, but in the uh ltl uh b2b space when you're trucking in like heavy loads and large quantities uh it's it's super important it's highly inefficient right now uh there is nothing close to what you see obviously with like fedex and ups so there but there are advancements being made um when we first our, our site like our our online trucking was fully customized like there was wasn't a partner out there that um would meet that that need now little by little uh we use Shipper HQ and ma- they've been making big investments into serving the B2B space. Um, and uh, they've, you know, there's still customization that we need, but we keep a close eye on the market. Yeah. Hmm.
0: So you're know, like have Uber l Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's not, not so far off. Uh, any other questions? Oh, we've got one here. Hi.
3: Thanks so much for talking. Uh, I, I appreciate that your challenges are bad challenges as well, so it's good that we have strengths of numbers. But my question is, challenges can be overcome, and it can be you know, like you have a plan for, but what keeps you up I at mean,
1: night? What are your frustrations? Is that like that you curse, that you scream, that you
3: like <laughs> the only person in the room and say that I got keep mind that like we work for a very old company, it's, it's hard to adapt to new technologies. In my previous lifetime I used to work in media, and I used to have to teach a really writer how to use a CMS. And after three minutes, you walk out of like, Back in my day, we had more colorful language. To to hire, we got it done. We mm-hmm. left the room and screamed. At so, what are the most frustrations that, that, that you have in your businesses?
2: I, I'm I'm very I'm I'm very lucky. I work for a, a family-owned company, and the family is incredibly innovative in their thought processes. So, there's nothing really that I come to the table and say I think this is something that we should try that we don't have open business conversation around and and, and possibly try. Uh, I think I mean nothing my eight year old keeps me up at night uh, she's I don't gonna say <laughs> my daughter has night tires. Uh, uh, other than that, yeah. um, it, it's it's more about just uh, as I said it's it's just keeping a handle on the the rapidly fragmenting needs of our customer base and making sure that we're in front of it at all times and that ultimately my customer is going to shop where it's easiest and there's the least friction for them right because mm-hmm. that's the, the, their, their friction is with their client and doing all that work. Their their supply side should be as smooth as possible. So it's making sure that we address that in every way we can and every possible touch point they may have with us. And that, that's what we're constantly thinking.
1: Yeah, I think, um, again, I, I sleep well, but um, <laughs> Scotch-related, no. Um, but... Uh, I think it's nothing nothing major to keep me up at night, but I think frustrations that make me go like, ah, um, our, you know, the trade, educating the trade, like our, our B2B trade growth has grown exponentially year, year over year, over year. Um, but still having that trade interior designer, whatever you want to call it, client, B2B client, who will literally um, screenshot their cart and then it into our reps to take care of the order just like slays me because it's you know it's it's, it's hurting my web <laughs> metrics for one and two like it's taking away from time that our sales reps you know could be doing other things instead mm-hmm. of having to process that order so I'm just like why I don't get it you know mm-hmm. so sort of trying to figure out like making it I'm padding my sales reps now um, but uh, you know trying to figure out why on that and just like why don't you just place the order like it's, it's right there but. Yeah.
3: Yeah. yeah, and and I would say uh, the the biggest frustration is like that huge variation in quality of uh, content on, for, from coffee to coffee. Like sometimes we're working with a producer that has wants to share amazing photography, video, and then uh, many other producers share share nothing. It's like pulling teeth, and uh, because of that, we have a lot of um, coffees unfortunately that we that the story is still lacking. Uh, and we have to design the website around that because we can't have like we don't have uh, a unique photograph to represent each product that we have because enough of our coffees don't have that we have to, we had to design a site that was photographic light photography light because uh, we couldn't you know we have to use maps to represent each product and then when you get into the product page you you can sometimes you see a great story so that's it's frustrating.
0: hmm none of you said you know. I- I, I saw that you had a whole thing about Google's monopoly the other day, around advertising. No, you don't want to go into that. Okay, no, no, right, <laughs>
1: Well, No, I mean channels and the new, you know upping cost of acquisition and everything. Yeah. And yeah, it's it's really frustrating. And I mean Phil's mentioning is like on a whim Google can turn you off for no reason. You know, like literally we. Um, our instituting affiliate, and our affiliate Google didn't like our affiliate pixel and decided there was some sort of malware on our site and turned us off for four days. Like I mean, it's it's yeah, Yeah. that kept me up a little bit.
0: Those, I I think, those are the sort of the new. Wait, there's there's this new uh, understanding of how much reliance we have in certain. uh, Wait, where where you have uh, a lot of eggs in one basket, I should say. Um, in the way that you're acquiring customers and um, yeah, those I can see how those things would keep you up at night too. Any, last question. I'll give one more. No, not... <laughs> if no one else, really? No one else? All right, fine, Brian, go ahead. Uh, so, a really interesting trend in B 2 c right now uh, is doing really interesting collaborations and uh, you know, working with brands that are outside the box to address your customers. So I'm curious if you guys are leveraging collaborations in any way right now, or if you were to le- leverage collaborations, what would be
1: like the coolest collaboration you think of that would help your customers um, or be interested in your customers and help them
2: address their customers? <laughs> so we, we actually we did that in a in a moderate way. We did a collaboration <clears throat> excuse me with HM where they used fabric designs that we run out of our European subsidiary and they created a line of dresses and scarves and um, so really, you know, no applicability to what we do, but the the brand uh, connotation, so to speak, and seeing the product used in that type of situation, it was great. It, you know, garnered a lot of social media attention for us. I, I, I couldn't give you uh, any kind of hard metric on actual business mm-hmm. driven from it, right? But it was a great branding, great branding environment, so... Well, uh, we would definitely look to do something like that again, uh, because we had such a great experience doing that. And it was a very short run, it was, it was something that was, I think they only had it in stores for about two months. Um, and it was amazing, the impact it had In that. Team.
1: Did they actually buy your fabric, or did it, was it inspirational, sort of?
2: Um, it, the, we licensed the design, so to speak, right, because the fabric yeah. we make wouldn't be fit for apparel. It. it would be fit for upholstery. <laughs> Uh, and you're not mm. going to want to wear upholstery fabric. Uh, so, but the designs were done true to nature; they weren't changed. <laughs> Challenge <so>. accepted. <clears throat> uh,
3: a Yeezy collab with coffee, maybe. Uh, <laughs> 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 yeah. um, we we so we have some very exciting collaborations in the works uh, that I'll just say like we see a value that we can bring to a coffee roaster. One value we can bring is um, uh, certain types of like processing methods for like more popular trendy type style coffee drinks that are more capital intensive uh, we can bring that capital intensive portion of the business and supply it for them and, and then and help them create that product um, so that's we have some collaborations in the works there yeah.
1: so I think we also have a sister brand uh, favor in favor of that um, is more the home accessories side and um, I think collaborations on that side are a on- lot will become a lot easier for us. We actually just launched that about two months ago and we're actually talking, to, I don't want to say it yet, but one of the most renowned chefs in the world about selling a line. Um, on the industry west side, I mean, the designer who did this space, Danny Arps, um, she's done a ton of startups, been ran up a lot. I always joke with her one day, she's gonna be too famous to take my calls, but um, we're doing considering a line with her. I'm assuming you meant, like, brand-wise, not personal, like I want to collaborate with The Rock and, like, (laughs) have him, like, deadlift our chairs. (laughs) Because that would be awesome, too. There you go. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Uh, This has been fantastic. Thank you all for coming out. And uh, make sure that you like and subscribe. Give five stars uh, on iTunes, Google Play, or anywhere podcasts are found at merchant to merchant And uh, you can always get the next episode at podcast.somethingdigital.com. Thanks for listening, and thanks for coming. get rid of the rest of the food?